listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. My name is Jake. Uh, if we haven't met before, I'm a small group leader. If these fine gentlemen over here, yeah, a lot of them are single. So uh, stop by our room later if you're if you're available. Um, not all of them, though. That's another story for another time. Um, I'm really excited uh, tonight to be in part two of this series that we started uh, two weeks ago um, called Did God Really Say? And essentially what we're doing in this series is we're trying to figure out how we can discern what is true in a world full of misinformation. And so what do we do in a world that we see things that aren't true all the time, people are trying to lie to us, how do we discern what is true? I mean, really what we're doing is we're taking three weeks and we're trying to answer three of life's really big questions, which are these three things. Thank you, Andrew, for turning the TV on. That was really helpful. Um, actually, I was told not to call it a TV. It's a teaching message. message. Yep, display. That's great. Thank you for that. Turning on the message display. That's Andrew, everyone. Give him some love. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not single, so watch yourself. Um, here are the three questions that we're talking about in this series. Number one is, who is God? Number two, who am I? And number three, what is the best way to live? Two weeks ago, we talked about who is God and the reality that a lot of us find our source of the ultimate authority of our life and it isn't actually God and it isn't his word. And so the question is, who is your God and where does that come from? Tonight, I wanna to unpack the second question, who am I? Which is a really simple topic that we're gonna unpack in all of 30 seconds. Um, we're gonna talk about identity tonight, which is kind of a heavy topic, forewarning. Um, and I think the problem with identity and the reason I think it's so important for us to talk about tonight is because a lot of us have a really bad habit of misplacing our identity and getting our identity lost in places that it never should be. In fact, I wanna to start tonight by sharing a story of one of my really good friends who lost his identity once. And uh, it wasn't really until he found it again that he realized how important it was. And so you can check out the screens. Thanks. I lost something once. I lost something I couldn't live without. My identity. So anyway, thanks for the pen. No problem, huh? It all started last week, Monday morning to be exact. The day I lost my identity. I gotta go. Okay, full disclosure, who thought we were about to watch like a baptism video or like some sort of like really deep spiritual? Did you really? Did you look at the back? No, Don't be cheating. No, I did it. Like, I, I literally told her it's gonna be SpongeBob. That's amazing. Well, that's great. You, you deserve a high five. Will you give her a high five for me? Thanks, that's amazing. Yes, that is SpongeBob. And if you've seen that episode, you know the reality is he really just lost his name tag and he found on the other side of his shirt, which is a classic mistake that I've made many times in my life too. So, but what's funny is that even that little 20 second clip of SpongeBob, there was, he actually dropped a bar and I don't know if you caught it, but this is what he said when it comes to his identity. He says, I lost something I couldn't live without. And like, yeah, that's SpongeBob. But like, I think for a lot of us, that's actually true too. Because you see, your identity is, it's the thing that drives you and tells you where to go and, and who to date or who to marry or where you should be on a Wednesday night or where, like your identity determines your direction. It determines all these different things about you. And the place that you put your identity is really important, not only to like who you are, which is your identity, but what you do, where you go, what you say. I read a book recently by a guy named Henry Nouwen, who uh, he's like a Catholic priest, theologian, author, and he writes a lot of books, but one of them he wrote about identity. And he says that there are three things, three places that we get caught up in the places that we put our identity in, and this is what they are. The three statements are, I am what I do, I am what I have, 
and I am what other people say about me. I am what I do. Maybe for you, it's like a job or a career, the career that you want to have one day. Maybe it's like the sport that you played in high school and for a long time you found your identity like, oh, I'm the football player, I'm the softball player, whatever that is. Maybe you find your identity and I am what I have. Maybe it's money, it's success, it's, it's uh, opportunities, it's fame or popularity, whatever that looks like. I am what I have. I am what I say or what people say about me, people's opinions. And, and I'm, I'm looking for affirmation from people because what they say about me really matters to who I am on the inside. But I think the problem with these three questions is none of them actually tell you who you are. And all of them are really dangerous if it's the way that we think. And, and we could take so many messages to unpack this, but I really wanna focus on this first one. I am what I do. Because at first glance, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? Like if you were to ask me who Ryan Gray is, I would say, oh, he's the director of the living room. Like that's what he does, that's who he is. If you were to ask my small group guys who I am, they would say, oh, he's our small group leader. It's what I do, it's who I am. In high school, maybe you were the student athlete, like you were the, the wide receiver on the football team and that's what you do, it's who you were. You were the pitcher on the softball team, it's what you did, it's who you were. But I think this line of thinking really hurts us in one of two ways. Number one, what happens when that's no longer who you are? What happens if Ryan's no longer the director of the living room or I'm no longer their small group leader or you came to college and you no longer play sports or you got injured and so you couldn't play sports? Who are you now? The second reason I think that this line of I am what I do thinking is so dangerous is because the enemy will twist that thought. And all of a sudden, it's not just about your career or your job or the sport you play, but it's about the mistakes that you've made. And this line of thinking, I am what I do because I am the mistake that I made. And so we're gonna go back to Genesis chapter three. If you were here two weeks ago, that's where we started this conversation. We're gonna go back there tonight. It's the story of the very first mistake of all of humanity. And to give you some context, um, Adam and Eve were the first humans that were ever created by God. And, and he told them that they could enjoy this entire garden that they lived in, but they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing they couldn't do. They had one rule. And so that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. This is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yes, the snake is talking. He says, did God really say, that's our series title, that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What's important to note here is that God actually never told them they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. But even just the serpent raising the question, did God really say, got her in her head. And he wasn't really attacking her. He was attacking her trust in God. Can you really trust what God said? Are you sure that's what he said? And that's what he wants to do to us. He wants us to question, can I trust him? Can I trust him to tell me who I am? The story continues, or verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Flag that in your mind. Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And in a moment, 
they were all of a sudden aware of the first mistake that ever happened in human history. You see, what the serpent said to her wasn't entirely a lie. The reality is they were like God in the sense that they now knew what was good and what was evil. Before they had no awareness of what bad or evil, they had no idea what that was. But now all of a sudden they have the acknowledgement that I did something evil because God said not to do this and then I did it. And they're now aware of their mistakes for the very first time. Verse seven tells us what, what comes out of this awareness of their mistakes. It says this, then the eyes of both Adam and Eve, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. For the first time, they felt exposed and vulnerable. But what's crazy is that they had actually been naked this entire time. In fact, if you back up to Genesis chapter two, verse 25, right before it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. But now all of a sudden they're aware of their mistake. They're aware that they're naked. And all of a sudden they're, they're, they find this need to cover themselves with, with, with leaves and, and to try and hide. And, and they did this with fig leaves, but we do this all the time too. Like when we mess up and we're aware of our mistakes, it leads us to feel guilty. It leads us to feel guilt. And so we try and cover it up. We try and lie our way out of it. Or maybe you come to a space like this and, so, and you go to small group later and, and you know it's in the back of your mind and you know that, that what you did, but you know, I'm just gonna keep quiet. I'm not gonna tell anyone about it. I'm, I'm just gonna give superficial answers to the questions and I'm just gonna like slide my way through this one until I forget about it. Because we don't want people to know what we did. We're so afraid of what would happen if someone found out that I made a mistake. Because we think that if people know what we did, then they'll know who we really are because we believe that our identity is found in what we do. And all of a sudden the enemy does what he does best and he turns your guilt into shame. You see guilt, guilt says I did something bad, but shame says I am bad. It becomes your identity. It becomes who you are. I did a bad thing. That means I'm a bad person because I am what I do. When I uh, was growing up, I always was the good kid. In our household, I did the right things, I said the right things. I was always at church and I was, you know, just being a good old little kid. I never got in trouble. <laughs> I was the kid in class who like, if the teacher was like, hey, be quiet, I'd be like, she hates me. It was so dramatic. <laughs> That's who I was. I was a good kid. My brother, on the other hand, was the bad kid, always. Kid can't do a thing right to save his life. And so while I was like practicing for like our church youth groups, like praise band on like a Tuesday night, my brother was like puffing the devil's lettuce in the bowling alley parking lot because that's what the cool kids did. And in my mind, I just had it like, I'm the good kid. He's the bad kid. That's who I am. And then my junior year of high school, uh, me and some friends were hanging out at uh, one of our friend's house and um, we were all watching this movie and uh, something that you should know about me is that I, do not try and watch a movie with me. I will fall asleep in the first five minutes. Um, if it's dark and it's cold, I literally fell asleep in the movie theater on like a date one time because it's dark and it's cold and I'm ready to take a nap. So especially if there's a blanket involved, I'm out, cold. And so I fall asleep and I wake up and it's just me and this girl in, in her bed. And before I knew it, I crossed so many physical boundaries something that I'd said I would never do, something I'd never done before, something that was so against the identity that I'd built in my mind. And I remember leaving that night and I felt so 
ashamed of myself. And, and this voice in my head just kept saying, like, you're just like your brother. Like, you think you're better than him, but you're not. You're just as broken as he is. It looks different, but you're just as broken. Oh, and now tomorrow you want to go try and like lead your, your church youth group in like worship? Yeah, right. You're such a hypocrite. So I shoved it all down because I was so afraid of what my friends and, and the people around me would think if they found out. You see, shame, it takes root in our minds and it grows and it grows until we're convinced that we're too far gone. And you should just stop trying. You should just stop trying to, to make it better. You should stop trying to like do the right things because the reality is you're a bad person, so you're gonna do bad things. Like, like you go to with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you do things that you know that you shouldn't do, but that's just who you are. So you might as well just keep doing it. When you go home late at night, and you're tempted to watch those things on the screen and you're tempted to look at pornography and it's like, that's who you are, bro. Like, just do it. And when someone says something about you that, that you know is not true, but, but you like made a mistake. And so now you're like, man, like, is that who I am? Honestly, like, I might as well just keep doing it. I've already sinned once. Let's just keep going. What does it matter at this point? It's who I am. And then when you get into this really dark place of you're caught in your shame and making the same mistakes over and over and over again, the devil tells you the best lie that he's ever told you. So the only thing that's worse than what you did, the only thing worse than the mistake that you made is if people found out about it. So we hide. That's what Adam and Eve did. We pick up the story uh, in verse eight. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were so afraid of, of what God would think because he's perfect. And now all of a sudden they're not. And they know that. So they hide. And I think that's where a lot of you probably find yourself tonight too whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, like we make mistakes and, and whatever you believe about God, you know that he's too good for you. And so we hide. And maybe that looks like you don't even wanna show up to a place like this. <laughs> maybe it's really hard for you to get here because you just have this weight of what you've done, like weighing down on you. Or maybe you do come to a place like this, but you just shove everything to the side and you just, you won't even open up about anything that's going on because you're so scared of confronting it. And you start to believe that, that you're not good enough, maybe you're not pretty enough, that you're not smart enough, that, that you're not talented enough, that you're not masculine enough, that you're not feminine enough, that, you, that you're not enough in all these different ways, that you're unloved, that you're unwanted, that you're never gonna be worthy of love. No one's ever gonna care for you. And he, the accuser, the enemy, he just keeps telling you these things over and over and over. And we listen to him because deep down, we think that he's right. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't just become I'm unwanted by other people, it becomes I'm unwanted by God. And now I don't just feel ashamed of myself. I don't just feel like I am bad. I feel like I am too bad for God. And now my shame has turned into condemnation and I'm condemned. I'm too far gone. And then the enemy comes up to you and he whispers, he's like, bro, you'll never figure out your way back to God. It's over. You ruined your relationship with him. He doesn't want anything to do with you. 
And the sad thing is that some of the things that he says are true. We can't earn our way back to God. Our mistakes have ruined our relationship with God. He's right. There's nothing that you can do to make it right. And so instead of owning it, instead of bringing things to the light, we just hide. Because it feels so much better that way. And you start to believe this lie from hell that God doesn't want anything to do with you. But it's not true. He never said that. In fact, what, what happens at the end of the, or towards the end of the story is, is God actually moves towards them. In the midst of their running, in the midst of their hiding, God moved toward them and he went to find them. This is what it says uh, in verse 10. God said, oh no, verse nine, the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? He knew where they were, but he wanted them to come out of hiding. Verse 10, and then the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is probably the most important verse that you might can hear tonight, so don't miss this. Verse 11, God looks at them and he says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? Who told you that you had to hide from me? Who told you that you had to be ashamed? Who told you that you couldn't come to me with what you're carrying? Who told you that? I never said that. I didn't go anywhere. I've been here the whole time. Who told you that? The enemy tells us this lie that if we want to preserve our identity and who we are, we have to hide. Because the only thing worse than your mistake is if someone knows about it. Because if someone knows what I did, then they're not gonna see me this. People aren't gonna see me the same way. If people know it, if the people in my small group knew what I did this weekend, there's no way they would love me. There's no way they would care about me. There's no way that they would hang out with me anymore. If the other Christians that are in my friend group knew what I did, there's no way. They'd say I'm a bad Christian. And I think the problem is that so many of us have experienced that that so many of us have experienced that when we share our shame and our mistakes with the people that we're supposed to be able to trust, with the people who are around us, when we tell them the mistakes that we've made and the guilt that we feel and the, and the shame that is burying us in the ground and we share that with them, they aren't trustworthy and they go and tell other people and now everyone knows what you did and you feel even more ashamed of yourself than when you started. And so we've learned that it's not safe to share the things that are, that are harming us. It's not safe to, to share our shame and our guilt. It's not safe. And so we attribute that that's true about God too, that he's not safe, that he's too perfect and I'm too broken. And so there's no way that he would want anything to do with me. There's no way that he would want to hear anything. So it's probably best that I just hide and have nothing to do with him. He's too perfect for me. Why would I go to him? But if God is perfect, that means that he can't sin. And if God can't sin, that means he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, that means he can't hurt you. 
He can't make you feel shame. That's not from God. And if God is perfect and he can't sin and he can't sin against you, doesn't that make him the most trustworthy being that's ever existed? Doesn't that make him the one place that you can go with your shame and know that it's safe and that you are safe? And so God gives Adam and Eve the same opportunity that he gives you and to me to be honest. He's like, yo, what happened? And I tell him everything. You told us not to eat the fruit. And then this, this talking snake, which is like a whole other thing, he deceived us and we ate it. We screwed up. We made a mistake. And I imagine that, that the enemy in this moment is looking on them and is so excited about the condemnation that is about to pour down on them. He's like, I got him. But what he missed is that God's character isn't shame. God's character is love and it's grace. And yes, there are still mistakes, or there are still consequences for your mistakes. Yes, there are still there are still consequences on the other side of your actions. Yes, that is still true. They actually, at the end of the story, they have to leave the garden. They could not be in the garden and walk with God the same way anymore. There was a consequence to their action. They could not escape the consequences. You cannot just escape the consequences of your mistakes, but you can escape the condemnation if you'll just stop hiding and stop running. Because what's true about God and the way that he saw them and the way that he sees you is that his view of them never changed. Their mistake didn't change anything about the way that he thought about them. Because their mistake was not their identity. They aren't what they do. You aren't what you do. Your mistakes are not your identity. But we've believed this lie for so long and it's not only affected the way that we see ourselves, it's affected the way that we see God. We think that his love for us and, and his acceptance of us is hinged on our behavior. And that if I can't earn my way to God, then it's useless and it's hopeless and there's no point in that. God never said that. Who told us that? He didn't. God's love for you it doesn't depend on you. The love that God has for you has nothing to do with what you do. In fact, what's really cool is at the end of the story, before they have to leave the garden, God actually shows them this incredible act of love and care and kindness. You see in, in, in verse seven, they had covered themselves with, with fig leaves. And I don't know how much you know about fig leaves, but um, they don't necessarily provide the most like coverage. But I went full botanist mode when I was preparing for this and uh, I, I kind of studied about fig leaves and, and there's actually this oil in the sap of a fig leaf that's incredibly irritating to the skin. And so not only were they unable despite their best efforts to cover themselves, but they harmed themselves in the process. That them trying to hide on their own and trying to cover it up, it ended up hurting them. 
And instead of God being like, you deserve that, that's on you. He sacrifices the first animal in history. And he takes the skin of the animal and he makes garments for them and he sends them out of the garden with dignity. Yes, there's a consequence to your action. But I'm gonna do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm gonna cover you in a way that you've been trying to cover yourself for so long. I just need you to take the fig leaves off. Because the reality is, is that God can cover you, but if you're still trying to hold on to them fig leaves, it's still gonna hurt. I need you to drop it. Genesis chapter three, it's, it's the narrative of the first mistake ever made, but it's also the narrative where we first see the great rescue mission of God to win humanity back to himself. In the midst of him laying out the consequences of, of, the, of the first mistake and of the sin, he, he says this in verse 15, he's talking to the serpent. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Catch this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I used to read this verse and I used to think that this meant that like, like when Jesus went to die on the cross, that like the enemy like struck him down, like the enemy killed him, but then like he rose on the third day and he crushed the enemy. But a couple years ago, I was sitting in a seminary class. Uh, we were talking about the narrative of the Bible. And we were talking about this specific passage. And my professor, uh, he's from Texas, and he was talking about how um, he grew up on a farm. And uh, I guess in Texas, everyone just like wears cowboy boots. So he's wearing cowboy boots and he's working on this farm and this snake comes up. And obviously like <laughs> only good snake's a dead snake. And so he like stomps on this snake. But would you just stomp once? No. So he stomps again and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until he is so sure that that thing is dead. And he said he got home that night. He took his boots off and his heel was so bruised. But that snake was so dead. And he said, it finally clicked for me what this means. That God loved us so much that even though we make mistakes and even though we carry guilt and shame around and even though we try and let that tell us who we are, thousands of years later, he would send his son, Jesus, and he would die on a cross, yeah. But it wasn't the enemy who struck him down. He willingly laid his life down. He allowed himself to be harmed, his heel to be bruised so that he could defeat the enemy and shame and death in the places that you're finding your identity forever. He literally, he literally crushed the enemy so hard so that you can be so sure that he's dead. And whatever he's telling you about who you are and where to find your identity and the shame that you're carrying in your life, it's not true. Dead people don't talk. I told you that in my research. And there's something that's in the body of a snake that even if you were to chop its head off, if you were to hold the body of a snake, its body still has the ability to curl around you. 
Y'all, the enemy is dead. But we are believing this lie that he's still somehow alive and that he's trying to tell you who you are. And it's not true. We were born into sin. We make mistakes, but God wasn't stopping there. In in this passage, in Genesis chapter 15, tons of pages before Jesus ever comes, he's laying out this plan to say, I am coming for you and nothing is gonna stop me. Yes, I know you're broken. Yes, I know that you have shame. Yes, I know that you're carrying this crap around in your life. Yes, I know that you're probably gonna run back to it again, but I don't care because I love you so much and it has nothing to do with what you do, but everything to do with who I say you are and everything to do with who I am and everything to do with what's been done for you. And I just wonder if there are any of you tonight who in this room who need to hear that for the first time that the invitation to follow Jesus is to say, I am so done with the running and with the hiding. And I am so done letting a dead freaking snake tell me who I am. And I just want you, God, to tell me who I am. I'm broken and I need a savior. I can't do it. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Because I know that following you, it's not always easy, but there's so much life in it. And so I I just believe in a room like this, there's some of you who for the first time tonight, there's an invitation for you to step into a relationship with Jesus to follow him with your life, to drop the condemnation, the bullcrap lie that God doesn't care about you, that he doesn't love you, that you're too far gone. That's not true. There's literally nothing that you could do that makes you too far gone. He literally defeated the enemy so hard to assure you that that's not true. I know in this room, there's also a group of you that have been following Jesus probably for a really long time. And yet you still find yourself running back to the same things over and over and over because you won't let him tell you who you are. Or maybe you are letting him tell you who you are, but you're not dropping the other things that are trying to tell you who you are. And for you tonight, the invitation is to stop running, to stop hiding, to be honest. See, the thing about God is that when he found Adam and Eve in the garden, he loved them just as he found them. Covered in fig leaves and probably itching and scratching themselves and I'm sure in tears and hyperventilating kind of tears because they are so ashamed of the things that they've done. He loved them just as he found them, but he loved them too much to let them stay that way. And friends, the same thing is true for you tonight. He loves you just as he finds you. But too much lets you stay that way. And so tonight, I want to give a space to, uh, to process some of this. I know for me, um, sometimes I have to get really practical. I have to write things down to remind myself of what is true. 
And so uh, our TLR team is going to pass around um, some name tags. They say, hello, my name is, and there's a blank. To write your name. What I want you to do, you're gonna get a Sharpie. Uh, you might have to share with someone next to you. I want you to write down some identity that you've been carrying around. And, and maybe it is from a mistake like we've been talking about tonight. Maybe it's not though. Maybe you're carrying around shame because someone did something to you or someone said something to you or life happened to you and you are still carrying around all this shame that's trying to tell you who you are. And I want you to get really honest with yourself. Get really honest with God tonight and write it down. And then when you're ready, I just want you to come leave it. I'm done with this. I'm done with burying this. God, you're the safest place for me to bring this to. God, you are the only one who is, who is so trustworthy that I know that there's no condemnation from you when I come to you. That you're not gonna pile on more shame. You're gonna love me just as you find me so much that you don't want me to stay that way. And I also know that in a room like this, I'm sure a lot of you have done something like this before where you've had to like write something down and leave it. And it's just this like church thing that we love to do. But here's what I know to be true. I'm 24, I'm not that much older than you. But I've experienced in my life that, that in different seasons, the enemy accuses me of different things. And sometimes, yeah, he brings up the past and he brings up things that I've done in the past, but sometimes he's bringing up a brand new thing. And I need to, the reminder that anytime something comes up, anytime any shame comes up that tries to tell me who I am, I ask myself the question, who told me that? And when I figure out that it's not God, I take it to him. And so more than I want this to be a moment tonight that on October 19th, 2022 at the living room, I wrote down this, this shame of I'm too broken or I'm too far gone or I'm an adulterer or I'm a liar or whatever that thing is for you. Like before this just becomes a moment, I want you to know that my heart for you is that this becomes a habit. That whenever something is lying to you, whenever something crosses your mind of this is who I am, you stop yourself and you say, who told me that? And then when God says, I didn't say that, you bring it to him. 